0: Welcome to the Modern CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping accounting firms achieve success. If you're an accounting firm owner who wants to learn how to grow your firm by providing virtual CFO services, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really excited for today's uh, topic because we are going to do some speed dating, which we will get into in a little bit here with Randy. But um, real quick, want to welcome Adam to the show again. Hey, everybody. And then, um, yeah, our guest today is uh, Randy Crabtree, who's with Tri Merit. He's a partner over there. And um, before the show, he was kind of talking about how he likes to introduce different types of credits and kind of thinks of it as speed dating for um, for business owners and accountants to know what the credits are and really jump into it. So, Randy, you want to kind of explain that topic a little better than I
1: did? Yeah, sure. I mean, we can go into anything you want when we're talking about this. But but I, I just didn't I mean, maybe geeky. I don't know. But I just love talking about credits and incentives. And there's so many opportunities out there for for uh, uh, taxpayers or CPAs to help their taxpayers uh, save mu- some money. So so I just developed this webinar and I do webinars all the time. I just developed this webinar back in November or something. and have been doing the version of it lately, which you know I I really am calling you know permanent tax credits and incentives what your clients need to know post COVID relief. But when I'm talking, what I really say is hey, what we're going to do is we're going to do a speed dating with credits and incentives. I'm, I'm going to talk about these six different things. You're not going to become an expert in the hour that we're doing this or the 30 minutes we're doing this. But... I want to give you a high-level idea of what's going on with these, and then speed dating, and then after that, you as the, let's say, tax preparer are going to play matchmaker, and you're going to take whatever credit or incentive you found interesting, you found that ABC client or or XYZ client could use, and you're going to go introduce it to them and, and, and you'll know, hopefully save them money and become a hero in this whole process. So that's
0: it. Great. So let's... <laughs> Cool. Yeah, know I'm excited to get started. So uh, let's let's hear the um, let's
1: hear the overview. All right. So okay. So I'm going to jump into it. So the problem is, Jamie, when I start going, you're going to have to interrupt me to stop me. So interrupt any time if, if I'm going off track. But this is uh, I I just love talking about this stuff. And the reason is when we're talking credits and incentives, again, I told you I get excited on this. Um, when we're talking credits and incentives, clients, taxpayers. We've been programmed for the last two years, you know, through COVID relief that, hey, there's money out here available for you. There's PPP. There's employee retention credit. There is, you know, child tax credits, restaurant revitalization grant, uh, FMLA, FFCRA. All these different things were out there and people realized it and taxpayers realized that there's potential benefits for them. But that doesn't end with COVID relief. There are things that have always been part of the tax code that are out there that can do the same thing for you. And there are things uh, uh, um, that, you know, are still part of COVID relief that are going to exist for the next few years. So what I do is go into that. And if you want, I can just list all six and we can decide if we want to talk about one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. If you want to fire off. Let's do it. So so there's really, like I said, six things that I spend time talking about. And, and those are, well, funny. They coincide with the six offerings that we do as a business. Um, but... Research and development tax credits, and that sounds like you have some audience that may be very interested in those. So research and development Absolutely. tax credits, been yeah been part of the tax code for a while. Um, there's some real estate types incentives, cost segregation, which is accelerating depreciation on depreciable property, 179D, which is accelerated depreciation for... Commercial property that's energy efficient, and there's two ends of that one. One is anybody that owns a commercial property, but two, if you're a designer of a government building, you can potentially get this phantom deduction, which ends up being free money to that taxpayer as well. 45L, which is a credit for developers of low-rise residential properties. Um, actually, significant benefit there. Those last two, 178 AD and 45L big proposals to actually increase the benefit on those Uh, hopefully will go through in the next few months or so they were supposed to go through in the Build Back Better bill but that's just been sitting on hold for a while we'll see what happens and then the two others that I talk about are employee related work opportunity tax credit it's a new hire credit you know anytime you're hiring somebody that meets a certain geographic or demographic uh, uh, requirement you can get a credit for that and then the big one which everybody's heard about everybody's getting marketed to on is the employee retention credit. The most marketed tax incentive in the history of the world. And in reality, I'll get on my soapbox for a second, probably the most misinformation out there than any other credit I've ever. R&D was misinformation for a long time. Employee retention credit, there's just a lot of misinformation out there on that. So those are the six areas I can expand on or talk about or ignore all six, whatever you want.
0: (laughs) I'm curious because I know Adam's done a lot of speed dating in his life. So I'm curious
2: which one he thought was the the cutest. Um, uh, Well, the the one, I mean, obviously like the ERC is probably the most relevant right now. And I agree. There's probably a lot of misinformation there. I think the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart is the R&D credit. Um, because, like you said, they a couple years back they expanded that to a lot of internal use stuff, and I think that's whenever it became a little bit more advantageous for, you know, a lot of a lot of companies out there that are just doing regular stuff that they don't really think of, um, that really qualifies. So I think it opened a a big door for for those folks. So those are probably the the two big heavy hitters. Um, cost aggregation, it's always been. I and mean, let's, let's, let's pick on cost segregation for a minute. Let's pick on the – and we can kind of circle back to the more popular ones there. But yep. like on cost seg, what, what's always kind of confused me a little bit is I know it, it stinks to own a building and have to take that stuff over 39 years. Understood. Right. But – and then to be able to accelerate that depreciation – um, in real time obviously has huge advantages on the front end, but ultimately at the end of the day, and I, and I get it, time value of money, right? Um, but, but, to, but depending upon the cost of the study and how that works, like where do you see those breakpoints points where uh, the cost benefit really makes sense since it's, you know, it's basically just pushing up the same benefit. It's not like in addition to.
1: Right. And, and what Adam's saying is I got a, a commercial building. I'm going to write that off over 39 years with cost seg is what we do is we accelerate a portion of that building to write it off today rather than one thirty ninth of it. So over 39 years, the benefits the same. But Adam said the, the, the today money in my pocket today is worth a lot more than money in my pocket. Thirty nine years. But there is a point in time where it does make sense and doesn't make sense. One is what's the size of the property that we're talking about? Did we invest 500000 in this, whether it was a purchase or a construction or remodel? To try to get a benefit out of that dollar amount today is not that significant. Probably a million dollars of a property and up is where it makes sense. And then one thing we do is when we're doing this, we do a free analysis on it. And I'm not selling. This is just in general, telling you how this works. We do a free analysis because you don't know if the benefit's there. And so let's do a benefit analysis, but on top of that, let's do an ROI. What's the return on investment for this? And, and if we get something where our, our, our fees are you know, 10 times the return. I mean, our fees are one tenth of the return, not 10 times. The <laughs> I was going to say that. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, that would uh, be Jimmy, bad mark scenario. That we're going to start doing uh <laughs> cost <cost-tech> seg studies. <laughs> yeah. I got to start billing like, no, I am not going to start billing like that. Um, you know, that's pretty low uh, return on investment. We, we really like to see, you know, five times you know, our fee is the, the current net present value of the benefit. Um, but, you know, anything above 10, at least it makes sense to look at. And 10 times our fees as the return on investment. But that's always the client's or the tax preparer's Client decision. Call. You know. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't, yep. we don't force anybody to do anything. So, yeah, it's so a million and up. And then, you know, ROI we want pretty significant. Gotcha. Yeah. And what are you typically finding
2: that to be, you know, that, that, uh, accelerant, what percentage of a million dollar ish, if you just had to kind of average it out, um, that you're able to accelerate.
1: It depends on the property, but, you know, a, a, let's say a, a high-end manufacturing facility, you could get up to, you know, 60-plus percent, um, where if you're a, let's say, uh, just a, a storefront, you know, maybe it's 25, 30 percent. So it just depends on the on the property. Um, and then it also depends, you know, we went through some uh, some nice fixes uh, to uh, uh qualified improvement property. It's just a way we can accelerate even more of a building that, that, that went through a nice fix about a year ago. And so that that could increase. Like we just did one It was a $2.5 million medical practice. Uh, they just did a remodel of their entire medical uh, um, office space. And in the first year, we got about $2.3 million of that. We were able to write off because of this rule on compa- qualified improvement property, which is improvements to interior portion of a commercial building so it, obviously you know the percentages could be all over the board but on average you know 30 40% maybe
0: yeah. Uh. So, yeah, if you're, so if you have commercial property, I mean, I think the, the key here is, is if you want to talk to someone, make sure you're looking at, you know, the value, obviously, and the, what the return on the investment is. I think those are the two things, the two things to look for when you're talking to a professional. And, you know, again, you don't want to get carried into something where you're paying a ton of fees and only getting, you know, one, one times that or two times that. It's just not worth nope. it. So, nope. make sure we're getting some, some return on it. Yep. So.
1: And then, Jamie, the holding period's important too, because if you're going to, if you're going to sell this in two years, well, it probably makes it no matter. sense to cost seg. If you're going to hold right. it for the next 10 yep years plus well yeah let's look at it so that's a big deal as well
2: yeah it makes sense and i mean just staying kind of on the real estate thing um you know that's where the energy efficient uh, initiatives really come into
1: right yep yep yeah so just to wrap up those the, the 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 179d is is pretty cool and everybody gets really excited about this Free deduction for architects, engineers, general contractors, mechanical contractors, if they can be shown that they're designing a government property. And what happens is, if they're doing that and it meets the energy efficiency requirements, the government entity can allocate this deduction to the designer. So, if you have a, an architect that just designed a, a hundred thousand square foot, uh, you know, um, university building, government-owned they can get this deduction allocated, assuming it qualifies, and in that scenario could be up to a $180,000 deduction and now this architect is just going to have a $180,000 deduction on their tax return for money they didn't spend. So, you know, if they're in a you know 30% tax bracket, they're just, if my math right, save $54,000 in taxes um, for for money they didn't spend. So that's pretty cool, but That's the one everybody gets excited about. But if you own a government, uh, uh, not government, if you own a commercial building, you can also get this deduction. For you, it's just accelerated depreciation, kind of like we talked about with cost seg, where we're going to accelerate it from 39 years in this portion, in this point, to a portion of it just written off in one year. And so that's the 179D. Um, That's probably about as much as you need to know on that, unless you guys want to go deeper. (laughs) That's more than I, yeah, it's above my pay grade already. So no, you're probably good. So uh,
2: if we didn't say that before, it's like, you know, um, a lot of times I think the CPA firm community in general, um, you know, I I think doctors are better at this, but I'll I'll call out lawyers too. Um, Sometimes we have a tendency to just be generalists and it's true. Yes, we know a little bit about everything, but whenever it comes to some of this stuff, you really want somebody that... You know, specializes in it and knows these kind of things because uh, there's all kinds of just, like you said, it, whether it's running the cost-benefit analysis or just understanding what's available and what's not, if you're going to go down this road just to maximize what you're doing, you really want to find a specialist. You know, you wouldn't go to uh, the foot doctor to talk about your heart. Um, that's the way You know some of this stuff is too and tax credits these more advanced tax credits again it's not that your local preparer can't facilitate them but whenever it comes Mm -hmm. to the analysis and preparation and you know making it audit proof and everything it really it you know we always you know look for for um you know and work with a firm that specializes in these kind of things so so we, yeah, that's we, that's why we've all made that mistake before. Yep. Of someone asks you what you do for a living, and you
0: say I'm a CPA, and like you never know where that path is going to go down. So like we've all made that mistake <laughs> once, and we're like, nope. You never know what they're going to ask me when I tell them I'm a CPA. Well, I know so what they're going to ask you. That's it's, it's like whenever
2: you're. It's like whenever you buy a truck, and your buddies, you know, as soon as you buy a truck, now you got to move everybody. When you're a CPA, <laughs> they're like, oh, I, you want to be the treasurer of the board? Exactly. You know, so you that's get exactly you right. get volunteered yeah. to do the books of everyone. It's like. Every time, uh, if you every time someone CPAs, you know better than. That. Yeah,
1: every time <laughs> I get asked to be part of a board, I'm like, all right, but I'm not going to be treasurer, and then that's what they end up <laughs> wanting me to be. And so, yeah. that's a, you're right. Um, yep. Yeah. It, so, real quick, I want to touch on what, what you said because I grew up as a generalist in, in accounting, and enjoyed it knew like you said these things exist um but was never a specialist anything 15 years ago i left you know we merged our firm and i decided to do something else and we started you know this current business which is called Trimerit, and we do specialty work i've never i mean not that generalist isn't fun i've never had so much fun in my life being a specialist and being able to dig into small section of the tax code which to some people will probably sound Pretty geeky, but to take it into is, small but sections. It's okay. and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are right. I agree with that. Uh, but it's been fun. It has been fun because what we do now is everything we do puts money back into businesses. So you, you can't beat that. No, absolutely, exactly. Are you
0: interested in offering virtual CFO services at your firm or scaling your existing service offerings? The Virtual CFO Playbook: How to Land $60,000 a Year Clients and Provide a Killer Client Experience is an online series of modules that will equip you with essential tools for creating and delivering scalable VCFO services. These approaches have helped Summit CPA grow from $500,000 to upwards of $5 million in revenue over the past decade. If you're ready to grow your firm, visit summitcpa.net slash VCFO playbook to enroll now.
2: So, I mean, you know, kind of shift in gears, you know, we talked about the the hard assets with the building and the cost seg and and the energy pieces. But the rest of them are really um, revolved around humans and people, whether we're talking about like the ERC credit, which we can kind of dive into, Um, But I think and even the R&D credit, obviously, that's a lot of that for at least with the clients that we work with. That's a lot of people hours um, going into that. There's not always a ton of uh, hard costs going into that. But before we jump into that, the one that I don't think a whole lot of people think about outside of maybe the restaurant industry. I think this is kind of a common thing that they think about often is the work opportunity tax credit. Uh, You mind explaining a little bit about what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah, well, just real high level. It's it's you want to think of it as a new hire credit. Am I hiring new individuals? If so, let's see if they meet requirements to get a credit. And people are used to employee credits with the employee retention credit right now. You know, kind of think of it. That's somewhat similar. I'm going to get credit for not just retaining somebody, but for hiring somebody now. And and to get this credit, it's you have to hire somebody that meets a certain you know, requirement set out, you know, either a demographic uh, uh, requirement or a geographic requirement. They li- somebody lives in a certain area. And it's usually like you say, restaurants, it's usually a higher turnover, probably lower paid position uh, that becomes eligible for the credit. But you hire somebody on food stamps. They're potentially qualified. Somebody that's been long term unemployed. Which is six months. Which you probably have a lot of that still out there right now, just from what we are going through. So someone who was out of work for six months. You hire them, they can qualify for this, and and you know, there's a completely separate category for veterans groups that you hire a, a veteran, you can get credits for, and the credit can be anywhere from twenty four hundred to ninety six hundred dollars per employee, and so you want it's 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 a standpoint from the credit you want to have. You don't want turnover, but you want to at least have a decent amount of new hires a year because if we analyze fifty employees, maybe five qualify, and if we got these five, maybe we got somewhere from between ten and you know, a forty thousand dollar credit, and then it starts to be real money.
0: Yeah. I think the, uh, the the key on this one, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the key on a lot of these credits is, is making sure that you're, you know, keeping good documentation, right? So like, if you come in and you, how many hire new hires have you had? What are their qualifications? What are their cases? What what are their situations? Yep. So that way you can come to your tax preparer and be like, hey, this is this is who we hired this year. Do you think there's any credits you might be eligible
1: for? And you're you're yeah. you're right on. Other than this is not a, at the end of the year thing. Unfortunately, this is very time restrictive and you have to submit the new hires to the state the state administers it for the federal government okay. you have to submit submit the information within 28 days of somebody being hired oh, okay and there you so go. that's the biggest thing and then unfortunately you don't know for a year maybe two years some places longer <laughs> if the state says, yes, they qualify, but you start the process. You start getting these submitted and then, and, and there's, there's a form where you can ask these questions, which it's completely legal to ask and then submit to the state, but you're getting into some personal information when you're asking these questions. So yes, That's time restrictive. Part.
2: Yep. Yeah, I mean, I know yep. the payroll companies will a lot of times get involved with these, especially with restaurants and things of that nature. But, yeah, that's yep. what I was always kind of – because it's also people with disabilities, right? So yep. it's, always, yep. it's always been one of those things where, I don't know, everything that you read about and know about HR, it seems like <laughs> exactly. everything that you would need to do to complete this – This uh, piece. And I know some people will actually come and bring it up and say, hey, by the way, I qualify. And they might already know that they pre qualify for these opportunities whenever they come to you. But um, aside from that, it just seems like. I don't know, <laughs> you know, that not, not typically what you would put on your questionnaire in terms of, no. are you disabled? Nope. <laughs> Were you on free right. stamps? You know? <laughs> um, so th- those are, yep. obviously that makes a little bit of a barrier for some of this stuff. But like you said, there's also a threshold of wage, right? Um, to where these things make sense. Because um, it's not for somebody that you're hiring that makes a couple hundred thousand dollars or what, what's the cutoff there?
1: Um, so it's just based on somebody has to work for 120 hours before they're qualified. And once they hit the 120 hour threshold, then you get a portion of their. so a, a portion of their salary for, and honestly, um, we have somebody that heads up that team, and I'm going to get the math wrong on this, but for up to, you know, 600 hours, and now we've got a full credit for them. So really, higher paid individual you can get, you're just not going to have a lot of, you know, new hires at $200,000 a year. And that's why typically it's the fast food restaurants you see this, just because there's more turnover and there's more el- potential eligibility but you know, it could be you know I can hire a veteran that's you know you know spent the last you know, five years doing these high tech work, um, you know, for the government, and and you know maybe they have some qualification based on being a veteran that they still qualify. So we can look at, it, but that's not the common user of it. You are correct.
2: Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that's on the one side, um, and then let's. Uh... Which which one do we want to tackle here first? Um, do we want to go for, for ERC or R and D? Let's let's end with R and D I'm saying. What do you think? Okay, end with okay, so make everybody That's my vote make here, everybody so, wait and yeah. and think about that one. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying common misconceptions and believe me I agree with you because I remember just like researching that one and just at first it was honestly, um, for me, a good get out of jail free card was that we took the PPP loan. You know what I mean? I was like, whenever you did the math, it was like the PPP loan was always way more advantageous than, um, doing the ERC credits. And then they, you know, the government originally came out and said, okay, it's, you know, pick one, but you can't do both. And you're like, right. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, ran the analysis a bunch of times. I don't have to yep. deal with payroll. I don't have to deal with all that mess. And then they came out and said, eh, you can do both. Um, and so then I was like, no, you know, now we have to go do all these calculations, <laughs> figure this stuff out. Again, let's go find somebody um, that specializes in this. I know it's not. You know, for those folks that do it all day long, it's not that difficult, but for the rest of us going thorough and thinking about amending payroll tax forms and all those kind of things just um, is really on the bottom list of anything that I could possibly imagine I'd want to do. So with that, <laughs> with that awesome <laughs> intro into ERC, uh, why don't you explain to everybody how awesome it is and why they should be thinking about it or some of the common misconceptions, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. And so I had the opposite reaction you did when that changed. I I just became intrigued with it. And I had no plans to even originally make this a service offering for us. It was just, it was, I think, January 7th of, of 21, I started reading the changes that came out in the... Uh, uh, um, the Consolidated Appropriation Act, which has really updated this, and I see Jamie's already getting bored here in about the ERC. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I need to open a window or something. <laughs> but, so, so I, I, but it was just amazing that, that, that now the PPP, you could do both like you said, Adam. And so, that's great. There was a misconception at the beginning about, hey, well, if I took the PPP, I'm not doing the ERC. That changed in the CAA. Um, but then it was, uh, well, I you Used all this period for 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 PPP forgiveness, so that period is not available for ERC. That is wrong. It depends on how you did forgiveness, but that's not even the misconceptions I'm all that important about or concerned about because I can fix all that stuff. I can work around that stuff. The misconceptions are there are there are people. How do I say this? Politically correct. There's a lot of ERCs being taken that I don't believe exist, and that's where I can get on my soapbox because not everybody in the country qualifies for an employee retention credit. It doesn't happen. It it is not out there. There's plenty of companies that qualify that haven't taken advantage of it, and there's two ways to do that. There's a safe harbor. I had a significant drop in revenue in any quarter in 2020 or 21, and significance defined different in each quarter, but I had a significant drop. Okay, I qualify. Boom, safe harbor. No no questions asked. I don't even have to prove that a drop was due to COVID. I just have to show that I had a drop in revenue compared to 19. Everything's compared to 19. The, the other issue is then, if I don't have the significant drop, can I still qualify? Some people think, well, no, I didn't have a drop. Well, you can if you can show that a government mandate Affected your ability to conduct business in some manner. And I can go deep into that, which we're not going to do today. Um, but that's where well, why people not? are Jamie missing Jamie really it. wants to
2: hear more about that.
1: you <laughs> he's, he's, uh,
2: can tell he, he really wants to hear more about that. Uh, maybe you he's, guys can do that offline. Um, we'll do, we'll yeah, we do that I'll offline, which college. is fine. Okay. And so, so yes. just
1: a quick... That that's where people are missing, but that's also where people are qualifying companies that don't qualify. Because oh, you had to wear masks, you qualify. No, that's not the case. So you have to really <laughs> dig deep and show that there's an effect, and that before you qualify. But the, the, the yeah, numbers could be huge. Must the numbers could be up some to of our clients. <laughs> 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 the, 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 you could get as much as twenty-six thousand dollars per employee if you qualify the entire you know period. Um, so it's and it's just a refund check. So it's a big deal. It's worth looking at. Oh, yeah. We've we've had
2: some clients um, really do well with the ERC credits. Um, And so as a baseline, you know, um, interruptions aside, as a baseline, the way I always, and and correct me if I'm wrong, the way I always kind of looked at it is like the first qualifier for me was, did the client qualify for the second round of PPP? Mm -hmm. Like, if if they qualified for the second round of PPP, then... You know you knew they had a significant drop in revenue because that was kind of the right. the you know the the bar that was set for the second round of PPP. So that was kind of like always my first thing. If they didn't qualify for the second round of PPP, that's whenever I'd usually go down the road of like, you know that was my decision tree anyway. Um, initially, yep. whenever I was consulting clients before I'd bring in somebody to actually put the numbers together, then I would always yep. be like, okay, if you didn't did you have an interruption were you mandated to close was there and then the one that was i was probably always a little sticky on was or you know not as up to speed on was the the supply chain um issues that maybe you could argue that the supply chain, maybe not directly a government update, you know, a mandate to close down, but some supply chain issues that you were kind of impacted. I know that one can kind of be a little bit of a gray area. So we would have those conversations. And as yep. soon as we had those conversations, and we tried to be as conservative as possible on those, if they went anywhere, then we would kick it over to a professional like you to be able to, you know, articulate it and and calculate it and see if it if it made sense and then same way with the the
1: round 2 ppp. Does that does that like logic tree sound reasonable? It's it's reasonable. The, the the drop in 2020 was 50% for safe harbor. So 25% drop qualified you for round 2 of ppp. So you know there was an effect. You may not met safe harbor rules But something happened. Why did I drop? And that's where you start to dig deeper. Why did my revenue drop 25%? What caused that? Was it just uh a... a lack of demand, which IRS argues does not qualify you, which I'm not completely agreed with. It just depends on situations. Or was it, uh, uh, you know, uh, that you were shut down or your suppliers were shut down? The supply chain is just, a, you know, that's a tough one um, because a lot of supply chain issue was just a demand issue. Demand went way up in our country, and because of that, supplies right. were harder to get. People argue, OK, supply chain, I couldn't get things, so I qualify that that you got to dig deeper than that. It's it, it has to be a covid effect to do that. So, oh. gotcha. Yeah, right. no, that makes that right. makes a lot of sense.
2: So the um, whenever we're kind of talking through that um, with the ERC, though. Um, just before we leave that topic, like you said, and yep. there is a lot of work that you kind of have to do there, you know, calculate if there was that drop and then, you know, you're going to get a certain amount per employee that of course yep. you can't double dip in your PPP money or PPP round two money. So you have yep. that little offset. They extended the time frame, So a lot of folks did actually end up qualifying for it. And then typically the way that works, whenever you find um, a firm that'll work with you on that stuff, Um, they'll do all the amendments for you, right? As part of their fee. Um, And then what's a typical fee that a client uh, should expect to pay for that type of service?
1: Yeah, a good estimate is, is maybe On the high end, although I've seen it higher than this, but on the high end, I think it should be 15% of your credit for a smaller company and maybe going down to 10% or less on a larger company of the credit. Um, And so, you know, you just saved uh, $100,000, you know, your fee should probably be around $15,000 for that tax savings.
2: Okay, because that one they did allow to be contingency based,
1: right? Yeah, that's um, what we feel. Um, most people are charging that way. There are still probably people that may think, you know, you can't. But but it is amended returns, and there is a carve out for amended returns, so we should be all right.
2: All right. Here's the big lead up. Jamie, take us home <laughs> with all your R and D questions. All right.
0: Let's let's dive into the R and D. So I know, um, obviously, a lot of our clients are in the um, digital space and in the agency world, and there's a lot of um, hours tracking, and that goes into the um, R and D credit. And I've had a lot of clients come in and say, Hey, Tell me more about this. And I said, OK, let's bring a tax guy in to give you the specifics and kind of the qualifications. And then once we get to those qualifications, what um, what we need to keep track of. So let's let's dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, this is a this is an extremely interesting area. Again, I get excited about this stuff uh, because <laughs> major things just changed in January of 2022 uh, on this. And so we might want to touch on that a little bit. But just uh, should okay. I give you the definition and how these agencies, you know, what we see. OK, real quick. Yep. R&D tax credit, different than what it probably brings up into your mind. It's not weight lab coats. It's not, you know, you know developing a time machine. It is, are we, you know, doing and developing something new or improved? And the, the code says new or improved product, process, technique, formula, invention, or software. Software is specifically called out as a qualified activity in the code and then what we need to do is just are you are you you know in this case let's say it's all software based are we programming something if we are that's an activity that qualifies you know are we testing a new program are we developing new modules are we developing new components within these modules new capabilities Um, that's all qualified activity for uh, for research and development tax credit Um, and that's that is Right there, that's the quickest definition of R&D I've ever given. Do you want me to expand (laughs) on that at all? No. no, I'm proud of you. That was that was great. Yeah, I think that's the
2: biggest <laughs> misconception is everybody thinks they're you're like building the time machine, you know, and it is right. like so. It really is about just improving even process internally. Yep. It doesn't have to be a physical thing, which I think is uh, really unique, and it doesn't have to be something that you plan on selling. Because again, improving a nope. process, it can be something internal, which they came out a few years ago. We talked about a little bit earlier that I think was a big a big eye-opener and a big change for a lot of folks in, in the space that we work in. Um, but then, you know, kind of moving that forward, what were the changes then in 2022 that, that people need to know about?
1: Yeah, this is big because if you've taken the credit before, you know one way of documenting and one way of submitting it. And and the, the way that the, the credit has been submitted in the past has always been file form 6765, which is the tax code that you put the R&D tax credit on. That is still acceptable going forward on currently filed returns, but if you haven't taken the credit and you want to go back and see if you have past credits that, that you haven't captured, and a lot of times in software development, people aren't thinking it's R&D, and so we go into you know an agency or, 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 or wherever it is, somebody a, a CPA firm that develop software and they weren't even thinking about it as an R and D and all of a sudden now it's an R and D project that they did three years ago. Well to capture that we have to amend that tax return. It has to be the credit has to be taken in the year the activity is incurred. And so to amend going forward, this is the big change Uh, IRS surprised us October 15th and said, hey, we got new rules coming out for amending. And they didn't even specifically say amending. Everybody thought they were talking about amended returns, but we weren't sure. Uh, um, If you are filing R&D tax credit, these rules are going to change. They told us it was going to go into effect January 10th of 2022. January 3rd of 2022, they clarified everything for us. And the bottom line is, if we're going to file a tax return, an amended tax return to claim an R&D tax credit, we have to now show every what they call business component. Every business component, the credit was based on. So the, this this module we just programmed, that's a business component. Now, who was working on this module? That's what they want to know. Who were the individuals in the company that were programming, testing? What were the research activities each individual was doing on each business component? And what were they trying to discover, overcome? What were the uncertainties that they each individual is working on? Which is documentation we've always done We never had to submit that. Now, going forward, when you do this, you have to submit this additional information. We have a one-year grace, not really grace period, but somewhat a grace period where if we do it wrong, they're going to give us 45 days to correct it. Um, And then after this one year, who knows what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if this works well for the IRS um, that they will extend this to all r&d tax credit filings that's just a guess on my part but i think we're kind of in a test phase to see if we need to do this going forward don't don't let people get scared about that this is how you're supposed to document the credit credit anyways it's just a matter of you never had to submit it before and and so, so that was with a big the, that's
2: only with the amendments that's not with current yes. year stuff okay correct yeah which correct. is strange because you think that just I'm, i guess it's just Another hurdle, because we all know the IRS is pretty strapped for 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 talent these days. So I I, also say they're hiring all these agents. That's what they're going to be doing. Yeah, yeah, I have a hard time (laughs) believing they're going to be reading through a bunch of uh, R and D literature. Um, but who knows, like, uh, they just, I guess, make the hurdle a little bit higher for people to go back and stretch for it. Um, right. You know, not the the not so compliant folks. But as you mentioned, that's just kind of par for the course anyway. You should already have that study done. And again, that's why rather than going to just the, the, the prepare on the street, whenever you go to a specialist, they have a lot of these forms and a lot of this, um, you know, how this should be uh, laid out. It's it's kind of templated so they can, you know, fill in the blanks and, and give you a real professional-looking
1: document um, yep. that you don't have any problems submitting to the IRS. Can I expand on one more major change that kicked in this year with R&D expenses? Uh, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this or not, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act defined uh, how we treat R&D expenses on a tax standpoint, you know, We've always traditionally, almost every client has deducted R&D expenses as they've occurred them. It's just they don't even know they made this election. They had some R&D expenses. that It was hidden in salaries and wages. They deducted it. They made an election to expense it. Starting January 1st of 2022, you can't do that any longer. You now have to. Capitalize all your R&D expenses and amortize them. If it's a U.S. expense, amortize it over uh, five years. If it's a non-U.S. R&D expense, you have to amortize that over 15 years. So all of a sudden, you know, a small business's tax bill is potentially going to skyrocket. You know, a three million dollar software development company could very well have two million dollars of R and D expenses, and now all they right. now they can't deduct that two million dollars in one year. They're gonna actually only the first year they're actually only gonna get ten percent, so they're gonna deduct two hundred thousand the first year rather than the two million they normally would have, increasing their taxable income by one point eight million. That's a Big and you're saying they're supposed to do that it's
2: regardless huge. if they think about doing an R&D. So it's almost forcing everybody to kind of think about an R&D tax credit because you're saying that, you know, yeah. that's that's not if you file the R&D tax no. credit. You're saying this is general, nothing to do with the credit. Right. right. So if in the IRS general. comes knocking on your door and just says, hey, we determined that you were doing a lot of R&D activities they could potentially capitalize some of your expenses which means you're deferring them and then you owe a bunch of money in tax because you didn't and you can't just click a button and opt
1: out of that huh no no. (laughs) now so we talked i think we may have mentioned the build back better bill earlier or at least pre-gaming we did i'm not sure um in there they were going to kick this down the road till 2026 and delay this even further you know when it was originally defined the tax cut and job act was delayed for 4 years this was going to delay it again obviously that hasn't passed we're very hopeful this will get delayed but honestly you know we're coming up to you know first quarter estimates soon i think we need to you know take this into account when we're doing first quarter estimates for taxpayers because this is a big deal this is can increase taxes quite a bit
0: for sure yeah. Cool. Well, we are um, right up against time. So I think we've all learned something about Adam's dating style. <laughs> that he, he's interested in I'm all a, six. I'm a talker. He's, he's not gonna, yep, that's right. He's not going to stop at one or two. He's going to go into all six. But I think that was very helpful for our listeners to, um, to at least um, you know, speed date the, the six topics here. And I think hopefully um, people understand. You know, I think the biggest thing is, is um, make sure you go to a specialist. You, know, you want to make sure you go to someone that understands this, not just the tax preparer down the street. But um, any other uh,
2: final thoughts from you, Adam? No, that's probably the most important that you know seek somebody out like randy who does this for you know that that's his day job and that's all he does he'll be able to go a mile deep on these situ in these uh, particular instances and that's who you want in your corner whenever you're you know going down this road how
0: about you randy what's your final thought for our listeners yeah today?
1: well i agree with adam they don't have to hire randy to me, but but that's uh, <laughs> okay i Hi, agree randy. with Adam okay. on that <laughs> um but no, I, I, I just, uh, it's very important to, to look at all this stuff, and there are tax-saving opportunities. So, so yeah, seek somebody out, uh, but be careful, beware, don't, you know, make sure that you actually qualify for these things before you're taking advantage of them, because that's what I've seen, not only in ERC, I've seen it at other places as well, and that, I just want to thank you guys. I, I, had, I had a great time. Uh, this was a, a different topic than we originally thought about, and, and uh, hopefully it was good for you. But if we ever want to talk about building a niche practice, I'm extremely passionate about that as well.
0: I'm sure there's – it sounds like there's lots of things you're passionate about. So definitely <laughs> appreciate you coming on the show, and that was a, a good topic here. And, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank sounds you guys. great. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving modern CPA firm
1: success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.